Thank you for tuning in to the Zealous Podcast. I'm your host, Rocky Snyder. This week, I've got Mike Brown on the show. He is in charge of physical performance for my hometown heroes, the San Jose Earthquakes. That's right. We're talking Major League Soccer, and we're going to find out a whole bunch of what he's doing behind the scenes with those players to get them to the playoffs this season and hopefully beyond for next season. In the meantime, if you're thinking about continuing education units, well, you could go east or west because I'm going to be doing two-day workshops in Needham, Massachusetts at Physio X, January 27th and 28th. We're going to be talking all about implementing foot wedges, closed chain biomechanics, strategies for strength conditioning and improving performance with these little tools. And then the next week, I'm going to be on the West Coast in Capitola, California, Rehab Fitness and Conditioning. And for more information, you can go to my website, rockysnyder.com. But enough about that. Let's get on to the show. Click that subscribe button. Here we go. Well, I've been waiting for this for a while, I gotta say. I mean, I am a huge Quakes fan. I love going over to Avaya Stadium. Now it's PayPal Stadium, I get it. But Avaya is one of the best sports arenas on the Central Coast. And I love, I've grown to love soccer. It wasn't something I was raised with, but raising my kids, I became FIFA, U.S. soccer coach, and did that for over a decade, and I fell in love with the Quakes and, and would go over there. And, and so I get to hang out today with Mike Brown, and Mike Brown is in charge of physical performance for the San Jose Earthquake. So, Mike, right away, thanks for agreeing to come on, Zealous. This is truly an honor for me to have you. Oh, thank you for inviting me on. It's great to be on. I know it's, it's took a little while for me to get here as well, so I appreciate that. It's, it's great to be here. Well, you had to get your feet kind of wet. You had to kind of get your roots dug in because you're obviously just by the accent itself. And we are not California natives. Uh, I'm from New England and you're a little bit further across the pond. Where did you grow up, first of all? Yeah, so I, I'm from Liverpool. So I grew up Liverpool, England. Um, so then there was only kind of one route for me and that, that was football. That's the only sport that exists over there. Um, yes. So that's where I grew up. And, and live or die, die hard Liverpool fan, I imagine. Nah, you imagine very wrong. Absolutely not. I'm, a, no! I'm an Everton fan. So, yeah. Really? Yeah, that, that's the whole family ever, ever since day one. We've been Everton fans, so we're very much blue. Oh, so, my gosh. No it. red. There's no red allowed in your house. No, no, not at all. You're not allowed it. My little boy likes to wind me up and say he's, he likes red. And I said, no, no way, mate. You're, you're a blue <laughs> How does that work? Just so, because I love the Premier League, but I don't understand the geography of, of your teams. To, to First, I love the Hotspurs. Everton, great, but uh, I kind of lean in a different direction. But how does it work? Like, you're, you grew up in Liverpool. Where's Everton in relation to Liverpool? So, Everton is in, in Liverpool. So in it's, it's... Yeah, it's, uh, you can actually see the stadiums from each other. I think they're, they're less than a mile away from each other. So uh, uh, oh, just far enough for missiles not to launch back. Oh uh, yeah. So funny, funny enough, Everton's first stadium was uh, Liverpool's ground. Anfield uh, was originally Everton Stadium. So then we moved out, and then they formed their own team. So that's uh, we we were the first team in Liverpool. Fabulous. And of course, you followed this passion into a a, a great career, but you didn't get to San Jose right away. Give us a little bit of your background story, if you don't mind, and how you got to San Jose. Yeah, absolutely. So I graduated quite quite a while ago now. I'm showing my age in 2009. Um, I spent a couple of years having a bit of fun and playing a low level of football myself. In I lived in Spain for a couple of years, which was which was fantastic. I did some teaching English and, like I say, enjoy myself a little bit. And then 
I came back and I completed two master's programs um, in, uh, I have to remember the title, it's been a while, in sports therapy and rehabilitation sciences, and then uh, a further master's in advanced physiotherapy. So that was my background. After that, I was lucky enough, I started out in rugby. So I, I knew nothing, like I say, I was a football man, um, but got my first professional experience in rugby, and, and that was an eye-opener, that they're, they're tough men. So I was in there from a young physio putting uh, broken bodies back together every week. That was a real... A real experience. Wow, yeah, that's frontline stuff. You were getting so much experience in such a short amount of time. What team were you with? I was with a team called Castleford Tigers. So it's a rugby league team. So I'm not sure how uh, sort of aware of rugby you guys are, but there's two types of rugby. So that was, it's predominantly a northern sport in England. So we were working in that and that was fantastic. Uh, for me, I worked with the head physio there, was the great British uh, rugby team physio. An England physio, so he was a fantastic mentor to me, and and still is. It was, it was great to get to work with him, and it was a real, real eye opener into kind of how pe uh, players prepare themselves and and everything. It was, it was a fantastic experience. What, what was the eye openers? What, give me a couple of, uh, uh, give me an understanding. Of what you mean? So, for me, I I kind of, I always grew up in football. I knew everything about football and the sort of money related with it. Rugby league is a very much a working class sport. So players were not getting paid a great deal. Um, and they were putting their bodies on the line every week. You saw players who, who couldn't even sort of do that anymore because they had that much damage in the hand, but they were wrapping up and strapping up every week to go out there. So it was kind of our jobs as the physios and the sort of strength guys in there just to prepare these players as best we can. And I've never known a mentality like it for for them guys. It's it's honestly it's a, it's a brutal sport, and the way they conduct themselves with such respect for everyone around them is is unbelievable. We we had a great group. We did really well uh, the two and a half years I was there. So it was it was great the way the coaches sort of embraced everything that we did and everything we provided. It was a real brotherhood to use a want of a better word, and it was a it was sort of a great example for me of how I would like to carry on and. Like I mentioned him there, Matt Crowther, who was the, the head physio at the time, he's just left the club. He sort of really instilled in me how I wanted to become when I came up and became a leader within a group. He was great with me, gave me a lot of responsibility as a new graduate, which I try and pass on. It's it's not always easy, and I'm sure I made a lot of mistakes. But for me, it was someone he kind of said, no, it's there's the accountabilities on you. Make sure that's done because it's important for the player. So it was, it was brilliant. That was a, a really good experience. Oh, that's wonderful. Okay, and then from rugby, where did you go? From rugby, I was living in uh, Hull at the time, so a job came up at Hull City to be the head of academy physiotherapy at Hull City. So they were in the Premier League at the time, so I jumped at that opportunity. I went over there. I worked there for two and a half years, and then I got the opportunity to go to Notts County as the head of medicine with the first team. So they were a League Two in, uh, club at the time. They just missed out on playoffs to be promoted into League One. So I was actually headhunted for that. I was I was picked out to go and do it. So I thought, oh, I've made it. I've been picked by a, a good manager. This is going to be great. I'm going to really take off now. My career is going to be great. Handed my uh, notice in at Hull. I had a three-month notice period. And the manager was sacked by the time I got there. So the, oh. manager, who, <laughs> the manager who picked me thought I was going to work really well with him. He, he wasn't there. So then I went in with the new manager. He lasted six weeks. Then he was sacked. Um, so talking about eye openers, that was another one into the world of football, particularly in Europe, the different managers. So I was there, I was only at the club for eight months and we had three different managers, three different styles. 
three different groups of players coming in. So for me to try and juggle that was was really interesting. Um, the club, unfortunately, then went into administration. So we were kind of told the contracts are going to be null and void at the end of the year. So you can kind of go your own way. So I had an opportunity via LinkedIn um, to go to Norway. So I was approached quite randomly at first. I didn't really take it very seriously. Um, but I was just approached on LinkedIn by the club doctor. He said, would you like to come out to Norway? Um, we've got this little club within, inside the Arctic Circle. Uh, so I did some research on that. A friend of mine who was a strength coach working in England, he was from Norway. So I did some digging. He said, yeah, it's a good club, but they're almost definitely going to get relegated. So <laughs> I had an 18-month-old at the time, and my wife, we were like, oh, let's just risk it. Let's just go, and we'll try it. Um, and lucky enough, in the four years we were there, we finished second twice and first twice. Had wow. some great runs in the Champions League and in the Europa League. Um, we were played against Jose Mourinho's Roma, and we won 6-1. Which wow. Is it's his biggest ever defeat as a coach, so that's that's a nice thing to hang my hat on. So that that was the experience there. So uh, I, I'm just imagining you're inside the Arctic Circle playing football, and it, it's got to be an indoor arena. It, it it couldn't be open. No, absolutely not. We were we're outside open arena. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no. So actually we there was an indoor facility, not only for training, but after the first year the coach said, no, we want to train outside all year round. We want to be on the pitch that we play on. So of course it was artificial turf. Um and we just trained on it all year. During COVID period, the people who worked and came and shoveled the snow off, they weren't there. So we and the players were out shoveling snow every morning before training and then we cracked on and we really created a no excuse environment, which was sort of perfect. We had pretty bad facilities compared to the rest of the league. Um, our gym was actually underneath the um, stadium. So it was on a slanted roof where the seats went. So uh -huh. I'm five foot nothing. So I was OK. But some of the taller boys had to be careful when they were doing shoulder press or, they, or they'd hit the roof. So we kind of had to modify how we were doing stuff, some of the taller boys. So it, there was no heating in there. It was really cold. But we we just made the most of it. We accepted what it was and we just got on with it. And we, like I say, it was it was no excuses. Yeah, honestly, in some ways, it sounds like heaven, Mike. It just sounds like uh, just brass tacks, but just, just from the ground up. If you can't survive this, then uh, when you go to an indoor arena or you play somewhere south of there, it's going to be like you're playing in paradise. So, but when your opponents come to you, oh man, what the advantage is, is unbelievable, I'm sure. Yeah, especially when we were in Europe, we had a really good record at home because not some of them teams, like Arsenal came there, uh, a couple of the big Dutch teams all came up there. We had, we had a really good sort of run in Europe and they didn't really like coming. Luckily, all the games were in November, so they, it was really cold and of course, it was 24-hour darkness towards the back end of November, December. So the, it was a really tough place for them to come. So we took advantage of that. Oh, I love it. And you were there for four years, twice in first, twice in second. What, what a great record. And so why would you leave that? Uh, there's, a, there's a number of reasons. For worse. Well, my wife is the one who's kind of, she's the brains of the operation. So we were a little bit worried about my boy and speaking in because ultimately maybe the goals be back in England and his first language was Norwegian and he was learning to read in Norwegian we couldn't wow. with his with his uh homework and things like this because our Norwegian four years seems a long time but our Norwegian was basic to say the least 
So we started looking at options and we were thinking, okay, how can we develop as a family? What's next? Um, and then the MLS is something that's always interested me. There's some great sort of practitioners here. I connected with uh, Dave Tenney over in Austin. I connected with him a few times prior to this um, year and he was someone I kind of looked up to and the way he likes to work. I was like, okay, th this is sort of the place for me. I feel feel the leagues are, are quite compatible with Norway and uh, the MLS in terms of there's a lot of intensity uh, in the way they play and a lot of physicality. And that, that matches my style as a coach. I, I'm all about that high intensity action. So that really was something that I thought, okay, we're looking at different options and that's a league that I feel I can do well in and, and would appeal to me. And of course the family uh, situation speaking in English again is it's it's nice that you don't have to worry about the second language. Um, well, your wife is brilliant from Norway. She looks over and sees MLS. Hmm, where should we go? Oh, California. That's yeah, a completely that, different that, environment. No, that was all her. She's she's actually a sports physio herself, so she worked in the team in Norway. Um, and she was quite happy when we were talking about the move. She was quite happy to come here and not work for a year. She was like, no, don't worry about the visa. I'll happily just stay at home with the kids and enjoy some Californian sun. So she's played a, she's played a blinder there. And I, I've been out working and she's she's at the country clubs and sat out. The <laughs> so she's really enjoying herself. How wonderful. Now, she, she's also a sports physio. Is that something potentially that, well, if the earthquakes, you stick around, here you could have yourself a husband and wife team yeah that, that's to be honest I didn't mention that when that's how I met her she was the other physio at uh, Castleford Tigers in the rugby team so me we had the boss and then me and her were together so we've we've started together and we've been pretty much working together for the last six years so uh that that's what we've known I like working with her she's she's kind of keeps me level she's exactly the opposite to me as a physio I like to push wow. players and she likes to look in, in depth and really push it. So I really kind of connect with them interpersonally. So we work very well together. Um, but right now it's, it's just about focusing on, on me and the earthquakes and she's happy. We have a two-year-old, so she's happy looking after her at the moment. That's wonderful. Congratulations on that. So how was it that you came from Norway to, to, to be with the San Jose earthquakes? How did that happen? So again, LinkedIn's been really good to me. So that was a chance uh, connection on LinkedIn with uh, Steve Tashian, who was then with the national team. Um, and he kind of said, oh, we've got this opportunity. One of the coaches from the national team, Lucci, is coming over to the Quakes. He's going to be starting and he's looking for a, a head of performance. Would you be interested? And it, it was as simple as that. We kind of connected a couple of times on LinkedIn. And then I was having a meeting with Lucci. And that was last October, November. So we sat down, we had a, a fair few Zooms um, before he went off to the World Cup and we just sort of tried to align our philosophies and straight away it, there was a good connection. He's uh, someone I really sort of admired the way he wants to play and felt that I could help him to achieve that. So it was a no-brainer uh, once we sort of got through a couple of Zooms. It was like, no, this is the place for us for now. We can really come in here, sink our teeth into the MLS and it, it's worked well so far. And I got to say, the, the the Quakes fan base is bar none exceptional. I, I love I, I love how many fans there are in the Central Coast here and beyond. It's just it's it's a great place to go. And I've said it at the beginning of the podcast. I'll say it again. PayPal Stadium. I mean, if if you like to to drink during the games, they've got the longest bar in any professional sports arena. It goes the entire width of the pitch and you can just stand down there right behind the goal and watch things or 
or, uh, or or cruise around the food tents or the the food trucks and everything. It's just it's just a great environment. But speaking of environments, like the MLS, uh, the athletes. Of course, it's multicultural. You've got guys coming from all over the place. But what is that like compared to um, your experience with Premier League or Norway or just your upbringing? What can, can you compare? Are we just still in grade school and you guys are up getting your master's degree or it has, has MLS kind of leveled off? Because I feel it has. I feel like it's developed incredibly over the last, say, 10 to 15 years. Yeah, for me, in terms of especially my world with the medical and the physical, it's up there with the best that I've seen. Um, it, it really is. I think there's there's a lot put on focus in terms of player care from a medical point of view. Um, which is from the union, they're putting rules in place about certain things that you have to adhere to medically, which I think is great. It gives the players sort of that protection. Um, things like sort of head screening and cardiac screening, it's, it's all coming into England and at the top level, it, it's definitely there. But when you go further down, it's not quite as embedded as it is here. So I think in many things, medically and physically, it's actually ahead here, which is one of the things that attracted me. It was, no, this this is the pinnacle um in many ways medically physical. we're talking about like concussion assessments post-concussion syndrome uh, exactly. how, how yeah so give me a little insight on that because i know obviously national football league here american football was on the forefront of that for for many years and it's been trickling obviously over to other sports like uh, the nhl national hockey league and mls but what is it like with the quakes and and what do the players have to go through in terms of medical screening and what do the screens look like yeah, so I can only talk from kind of looking in as as the sort of looking at what our medical team are doing. And it involves things like the SCAT-5 testing and it's it's all on-field concussion. We have the doctor there who's going to take care of that on game day. Um, but it's kind of just the whole environment around that player care. is It's top level here compared to anywhere I've been and it's, it is equal. We've kind of, we have quite a big support team um, in relation to the rest of the, staff we have the same amount of people in the support team as we do coaches um so nice. it shows that sort of priority isn't just on improving them technically improving them sort of results wise it's also looking after them as an athlete and as a as a human which i think is it's really important and you're you're, you're lead physio pardon you're you're the lead physical therapist or physio as well no. as being performance like hey, oh, there's so many different titles like there's performance yeah. director you're you're in charge of physical performance what what encompasses your role? Where where do you begin and end? Yeah, so here at the Quakes, my my role uh, it isn't medical. So we have the the medical director. He takes care of all the medical side of things, and then I look after the performance. So I look after the gym performance, the nutrition, any on field uh, work that the players are going to be doing, and then the biggest role of my job is the periodization. So I sit with the head of methodology and I sort of periodize our training methods and I put in when we're going to do certain things and I set parameters with uh, GPS on what our target sort of meters are that we're looking for total distance, high speed, sprint meter. So I, I kind of drive that side of the training model, um, which is something that I really, really enjoy doing. It's kind of you can get that that feel of what drills you want to put in place because you want to expose certain players to certain parameters or improve certain players. The way we like to work is we're a transition team and very high intensity. So that's how I, how I like to work. Same when I was in Norway. Um, so a lot of our focus is on 
what do you do once you win the ball? So we go high intensity to win it. And then what do we do? So it's coming up with drills with the coaches. So they kind of give ideas and then I tweak, okay, we can do that and that to get the better physical output that we're looking for. Beautiful. Now with GPS, it's come a long way in a short amount of time. And everyone seems to be using it, especially soccer slash football. Oh, but there's there's some limitations. Like, well, is there anything that you would really like GPS to target uh, that that's not already happening? Do you have any wish list on the GPS system itself? Um, I think it just depends on what you're looking for. For me, I, I take it quite basic. For me, GPS is just there to to answer any questions or to raise questions. And it can be simple, something simply as this player hasn't sprinted as much as normal. Why is that? Oh, because their defenders was playing really low, so he had no space to run in behind. And, it, and it's that that's enough for me. You don't need to dig any deeper. It's just about posing questions. So for the GPS, what I really like to look at is the three main parameters is total distance, high speed, and uh, sprint meters. So once I have that, I can look at that, and that's what I look at for every player. Then there's certain players that we try and dig in a little bit deeper. So during my time in Norway, we actually used the player maker system. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but it's not the it's not the bra or it's not the thing at the back. It's actually fitted onto players' boots. Oh yes, yes. So it's a it's a really interesting piece of kit. I'm not sure the limitation is players don't like it on the shoes at the moment, but I know that they're working pretty hard on looking at different ways to do that. But it the data that gave us was fantastic. It gave gate analysis. It gave um, who passed to who. So it was really incredible sort of data. Gate analysis in regards to like stride length or what? Exactly. Yes, in regards to stride length, you can have you had to have a look at it in certain ways. So you did a submax run, and then it can give you that gate analysis, um, which was vital that we use for for return to play for a couple of athletes following ACLs was was great piece of kit. And then like uh, sprint repeats, looking at exhaustion. I mean, you must kind of consider that a little bit during game time. Do you, yeah. Are they wearing it during game time or is it only during practice? No, they wear it during game. So we have the live data. So one of our uh, strength coaches tracks it live. Um, we use that data mainly for the physical staff. We don't often feed into the player, uh, into the coaching team. Sorry, we don't kind of say, oh, he's struggling a little bit. We use that on the coach's eye. He might ask us a couple of times, oh, can we just have a look at that? And then we'll do it. But for me, it's not all and all on them numbers. They're just there to kind of support what the coach is seeing. So if a player might be struggling numbers wise, but he's having a great game on the ball and he's he's really creating stuff, then that obviously outweighs his performance uh, physically. So we just have to try and match and align the two. Okay. Well, I would love to talk about periodization. Uh, and, and because... Well, it has really evolved over the course of so many years here from when I first started learning about it in the 90s and, and the different types of phases that are there. What, how do you break up your periodization in regards to phases? Maybe give me a little idea of how many weeks each phase is for and when do you begin? I mean, the, the season begins, what, March, April, somewhere around there? Uh, end of February. So like end the 25th of February. Okay. Wow even earlier, a week earlier than I thought. Okay. And so, so right now you're obviously just in the postseason or off season. Unfortunately, our quakes didn't make it out of the playoffs in, in advance as far as we'd like, but so now where, what does it look like for you? And can you take us through um, all through the season from this point on? Yeah, absolutely. So it kind of, after the season, we gave the players two weeks off and that was two weeks of, of nothing. 
Um, and then they've just started already now. They've started on their off-season uh, plan. So they've just started like a a re-entry phase where they're doing three sessions a week, which is a little bit of running or bike conditioning um, and then some weight training. That's the sort of general program. We've got a couple of players who are on an advanced program if we want to hit certain things um, right at the moment in time. It's our medical team are doing quite a lot of work with them from a preventative point of view. So if boys have struggled with any injuries throughout the season, we're using this period to really get on top of that and settle anything down so then we can start to build up. So that's a two-week sort of re-entry phase. Um, and then we're going to have a four-week block leading into Christmas where the players are going to work quite hard. They're going to be doing four sessions a week. Obviously, this is all by themselves. Um, so they've got a four-day four week where they're going to be working. And that's going to be following our usual periodization. So be, we follow the tactical periodization of a, a speed day, strength day, and endurance day. And then they're going to have just a technical day, which is what we'd normally use as a match day minus one. So then they're going to follow that, and that's going to be for a four-week block leading up to just before Christmas. Then we're going to have a couple of weeks where they're going to go back on a sort of maintenance level because you, you obviously know these players are humans. So over Christmas, they're probably not going to be doing as much as you want them to or maybe need them to leading in. And mm -hmm. then we'll that two-week period, and then we're ready to go again at the beginning of January. So that's when we start our five-week preseason. All right, five-week preseason. And within... So is uh, there's a question I wanted to ask, but I think I'm going to wait for it. And and so with your preseason five week program, this is three to four weeks, uh, three to four days a week of training, or are you going even more? Are you front loading it to get ready for the beginning? Yeah, we go straight into five days plus a game, so yeah. six days of work per week, um, and we use the first three weeks is. Um, a readaptation and trying to really focus on that physical aspects of things. So we're going to be doing four double days within that um, games at the weekend. And then the focus is on building fitness, building strength and really putting the boys. That's going to be a hard free week um, sort of periodization. And then after that, then it's kind of more over to the coaches where we've got two weeks where we're going to have four games within them two weeks where it's, create what you need to do on the pitch, create what tactics you need to do, and hopefully have built enough in that first three weeks to, to carry us through when players should be getting well into the three, 400 minutes of game time prior to the start of the season. And then in regards to like assessment, reassessment, to know that they're on track, uh, are you using force plates? Are you using the GPS? How are you determining that these players are adapting to the training in a positive way? Yeah, so we do screening every week um, where we go through force plates, we go through adductor squeeze, uh, Nord board. So there's quite an extensive uh, screening process that we follow every week, which we can then use to track um, sort of fatigue measures throughout the season. Um, so that's the data that we have in place. All right. So with the Nord board, are we talking like rep max? No, we're just doing uh, free reps. So then looking at force bilaterally. Ah, Okay. And then your adductor screening? Yeah, that's max, a max squeeze. Got it. And um, go ahead. Yeah, and we have sit and reach. Um, and then obviously we pair that with um, RPEs, checking how players are feeling. We do things like weigh in, weigh out. We have an in-body DEXA screening when the players first come back in to check that body fat. Um, so we kind of give them quite an extensive re-entry checks. And then we use the GPS performance based on what we have with the players over the last season and beyond. And then we kind of 
figure out where we want to be periodically. So, you know, Mike, I, I've spoken with quite a few of the uh, performance directors or strength coaches in the NFL and talking about the beginning of the season. And, and they, a couple of them have mentioned that due to the shortened time of preseason and the nature of a lot of the training camps, the, the resiliency factor of, of contact, body-to-body contact, isn't that, isn't that extreme? It isn't that frequent. And so the, the athlete isn't necessarily adapting to body-to-body contact and that might be potentially leading to an increase of injury likelihood. So I bring this up because there is tremendous physical contact in MLS. And I'm wondering, how do you prepare the players for that? Is there part of your strength and conditioning where you're actually getting them to go body to body to build up resiliency? Or am I just way out there in another galaxy going, ah, we don't do anything like that? No, we don't tend to do anything like that within the gym. Um, but what we do is is we work on a lot of movements for that physical contact. So we do a lot of sort of adductor work, so they're going into, or sorry, abduction, so they're going into it and blocking with cable. So it's it's replicating that movements that they will do on the pitch in the gym, if that makes sense. So we we do yeah. a lot of sort of twisting into resistance with med balls and things like that. So there's there's quite a lot of breaking down of the movement into contact that we will do and we try and replicate in the gym and that stuff they're doing as of now, trying to keep that stuff going that we know that they're missing them, them contacts. Right on. Okay. So I look at a gym as a toy box and I got a whole bunch of toys in my toy box. I'm wondering what's in yours. Uh, we're not, we're not blessed with the biggest or the best gym, but again, it's a, it's a sort of no excuse environment, but we try and work on, we've got the basic squat racks, um, we have an Alter G machine, which is great for our rehabs. Um, we have six or seven uh, bikes, a whole load of kettlebells, a whole load of free weights, um, and we make the most of it. So I, I quite like to use a lot of the power uh, boxes for uh, box jumps, box drops, this type of stuff. We've got a lot of cables against the wall, a couple of Kaiser machines. Um, so we're quite a minimalistic in our approach, but we, uh, sorry, in our equipment, but our approach would be as varied as we can be with what we have. And then in regards to the most common injury sites for an MLS player, with the exception of, we already mentioned concussions, obviously, but um, inversion sprains, hamstring pulls, groin pull, maybe adductor strain, uh, ACLs. How do you, if, uh, I'm wondering, how do you create a program that helps to reinforce those, the, reduce the likelihood of those injuries. Are there specific loaded patterns? Are there specific lifts? Are there things that you're doing and uh, that you've found can help to mitigate the, the incident rate? Yeah, so what I look at is I look at the three or three big compound movements for a lower body. So squats, deadlifts, and hip thrust. So my philosophy is to be strong and to be good at those. So to really have the, the base strength level with those three exercises. And then we add uh, unilateral exercises with things like the Bulgarians. Uh, and then we go into more like a more power and more actual landing mechanics with box jumps, broad jumps, sort of triple hop, uh, step ups. And then we have another section where we're looking at in sort of that individualized prevention stuff. So when we look at the screening and when we look at players in the past, so 
it's really important for us now when we're looking at building the roster, what players in uh, coming in and if they've had any past injuries, so we can get on top of a program already that kind of helps to stop any future risk of that or or lower any future risk of that. So we have a the whole team we're looking at uh, prevention mechanisms on individual basis. And then, do you tweak any of those primary blocks, those lifts, uh, in in the frontal plane and the transverse plane? Because we're talking mainly sagittal plane, whether it's bilateral or unilateral. And of course, obviously, we're not going to load the same amount of load onto a player and put them into a movement they're not as familiar with. Maybe they don't have the mechanical advantage like they would in the sagittal plane. But are you doing kind of like a lateral? box jump, a, a rotational box jump, a, a lateral shifting uh, step up or a crossover or anything like that? Yeah, so we we definitely like the sort of box drop into a lateral uh, drive. So with the dropping off, landing on that leg and then they're out to the side. So we like to use that. We do a lot of work on different boxes. So it's over one box onto the next one sort of laterally. Um, we I really like break down the karaoke movement and break that down into a karaoke drive, which is banded. Um, so nice. it's that resistance, which which I really like and find that quite functional for football. Uh, what we try and do is is some of this stuff we then replicate in the gym, but we also do it on the field. So when they look at their IDPs and their sort of progressions that they're doing with the coaches, especially in pre-season, myself and the performance team and the medical team, we like to take players and particularly work on some of the movement and really break down we worked a lot with the defenders last year in the change of direction and and simply turning. We find a lot of the defenders are sometimes the bigger, stronger guys. So can we work on that movement when they're turning a little bit more? So we use everything as, as part of our gym outside is, is just an extension of that. So when they're on the pitch, we look to try and make it as soccer orientated as we can, but try and hit them physical components we need. And you mentioned uh, bands adding adding bands to karaoke moves. And um, oftentimes we'll do one direction, but but other times there there's the need to do the opposite, meaning that I'm gonna resist this player. So they're gonna have to really accelerate against the resistance. But if I just had them go in the opposite direction with the band in the same place, then they're gonna have to really resist the deceleration. And it's, it's gonna focus on that. Do you, do you play around with that with your players too? It's not just, I want you to explode against the band, but I want you to control and know how to really take all your mass and momentum and stop on a dime with this. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of it is the sort, sort of the landing mechanics. A lot of that is focused on, no, you stop and you're going against that resistance to stop. And we like to add in maybe a, a football in, or sorry, a soccer ball for as they land, they're against the resistance with the band. They still have to perform a volley. So they still have to get the ball back into somebody's hand. So it's that focus on your, your land, but you have to be able to do it in a game. Maybe a player's pulling you or something, but you have to then still be able to hit the ball with quality. And you have to, that's a difference between three points maybe on the weekend, if you can stop that landing and, and hit the ball in. Um, players, I find my, myself very much included, are, are like uh, Labradors. If you put a, a football or a soccer ball in the way, they're, they're going to buy into it a little bit more because they can sort of comprehend what that is actually doing for them as a, as a football player. So where we can do in the gym with any of the banded stuff, we like to use the ball. Um, in terms of the banded and the resistance work, another area that we really hit is reactive. So we we don't tell them you're going there and there. We kind of, we wait for them to land and we shout a number and they have to go a certain direction. And again, to make it as game-like to what they're doing on the weekend as we can. 
Well, it's like you're reading my mind because as you're talking, uh, I'm just thinking, well, what about reaction training? And and you answer it right there. Do you? And I know you're kind of limited in your your tools and your toys, but there's uh, blaze pods, there's vision boards, there's a whole bunch of other kind of tech equipment out there to to enhance that. Sounds like you're you're doing more auditory coaching and cueing and and pointing and directing. Uh, is is that something that could be? coming down the pipe for the quakes do you what do you think of those type of tools and toys yeah i i like them um i think if you if you've got the facilities and you've got the sort of players buying into wanting to use them they're only a positive thing i've seen them used in the past the blaze pods it when i was in england and uh we had a we had a set when we were in norway especially the keepers we found really really enjoy using them um but I find it's, again, my philosophy is not something that I'm going to go and knock on the, the GM's door and say, you need to give me this, you need to give me that. It's how can you, you don't have them. So how are you going to make the best out of it? So it's simply where I'm working with a player or we have a player on player working together and they're just going through that reaction. And it, and it's it's about creating that same stimulus as you can do with, with what you've got. Mm. All right, well. Um, everywhere in the world, you're called a physiotherapist, except in the States here, you're called a physical therapist. And for the life of me, I don't know why. I should probably Google it sometime, but it, it, it doesn't matter. One way or the other, I know what you do. But how does that, how does that play into like, your, your background with being a physio? How does that enhance what you're doing as a strength conditioning coach with these players? Yeah, I think it gives me the a good understanding of, of the process that a player goes through, particularly with injury. So when I've worked as, as purely as a physio and I've worked with strength coaches and physical coaches, there tends to be an element of fear in what they're doing in terms of, oh, we can't get, we can't get players injured. We can't push too much. Maybe we have to reduce what we're doing because we're worried about injuries. I approach it a slightly different way and I, I kind of go, no, what, what we need to do is we need to push, we need to work on that and then trust our processes, trust our medical team. Players are going to get injured. That's that's unfortunately part of life, but trust that we've got the right people in place to speed up the processes. So when they do get injured, the back as quick as possible and the back hopefully better physically. So we try and use that as opportunity. So I'm not one who's particularly scared of getting injuries. We no one wants them, but it it is what it is, and it's then to kind of embrace that and go, what What are we going to do now? We've got one of our star players is injured. Okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to improve him during that time? Particularly if it's a long-term injury, I like to speak with the player and the coach to kind of discuss how do you want this guy to get better and put it on the coaches because I can say, oh, I think you need to get better at top speed or change the direction, but I'm not the one picking the team. Maybe the coach goes, no, actually, I want him to be better at this or this, and then I feel with a long-term injury, if I present my plan straight away to a player with the coach's back and say, look, the coach wants you to work on this, this, and this, you've you've instantly got buy-in because it's keeping the focus on him being a football player, him being an athlete, not just, okay, we're just rehabbing this. So my approach is is simply that. We just we try and push as much as we can do safely as can as can do, and then just embrace the bad times and make sure we've got solid uh, steps in place to return to play. Well, from a a fan perspective, and I don't have the stats in front of me, it would appear that this season you had fewer injuries. Obviously, this season was so much better than the previous season. So there is something going on that's that you're doing some things right here. But what was your injury rate like this season? 
So we're actually just in the process of going through it now. So I'm not too sure exactly what it is, but it's our target was above 90%. And that's what that's what we achieved to have an above 90% availability. And particularly going into the, the playoffs, we had an unfortunate injury the, the week before uh, to one of our goalkeepers in a yeah. uh, friendly match. But if you take that out of the equation, we would have been going in with 100% availability into the playoffs. And for me, that that's all we can do. I, I know our uh, our title is the performance team, but I prefer to think of it as, as a support team. So our job is just to support the players and coaches in, in any way we can and being able to provide the coach with a, a near 100% availability going into a playoff game. For me, that, that, was, that was a big pat on the back. I was happy with all our team for that. So it's, there's not much yeah. more we can do. Honestly, that's commendable. That's that's remarkable to have almost every single athlete uh, be ready for the playoffs because that's really when you want them to be ready is for for them to excel there. And, and so, how many how many guys are on your team? Not not players. I mean your support team. So the support team. So for me, it's myself plus a, a strength coach. Uh, it's a great guy Van der Salas. We brought over from Orlando last year, so he's he's been a great help in. Sort of helping me settle in with the league, and he's an experienced boy, so he, he helps. He's uh, from Mexican descent, so he helps with me with the Spanish, which is which is really useful. Um, with the mix of players we've got, and then we've yeah, got... I don't think we have any Norwegian players on the Quakes, do we? No, we we have a, <laughs> we, have a, we have a Swedish boy, uh, Oscar Agren, who it's it's near enough the same language, so okay. we, we can kind of get by. Uh, but funny enough, one of our coaches actually, uh, our goalkeeper coach, played in Norway. Uh, oh also, really? Also with a surname Brown, so we've got two Browns in the Quakes with Norwegian experience, which is is pretty <laughs> phenomenal. Um, so yeah, then there's us, and then we've got four members of the medical team. So we were we're a six man team. So we've got in the medical team we've got a a PT plus three athletic trainers, um, and they make up the head trainer and and the director of medicine. So that's kind of how how we're made up. We're bringing in a sports scientist um, leading into next season. Uh, which is going to be a big help for us. Uh, but it's a yeah, six-man team, soon to be seven. That's fantastic. And yeah, before we hit the record button, you were telling me you're going to bring on a sports scientist. It's it's become mandated through the MLS that every team has one, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, which which is going to be great for us. It's, it's kind of a way of us looking deeper into the numbers and being able to really produce the coaches with some real facts about how we're actually want to do stuff and be a bit more individualized so it, it's going to be a big step forward for us as a club and what do you want to do this season coming up i mean it's we're already in the process here just about but oh what would you if if you could share like what are the things you want to change what are the things you want to add uh comparing it to this previous season yeah so for me last season was was great it was a real eye-opener to be back in in sort of or to be in the league and to be working here it was great I brought a lot of my philosophies uh, that I worked with. We were adaptable with the head coach in terms of how he wanted things to be done and the experiences of of people like Vander and the medical team who kind of said, oh, it, that would be unusual for us to do here and players are more used to it this way. So I was very adaptable in that. What I really want to do, if they might, I don't know if players will listen to this, but I want to really push the intensity again this season. Um, that's we've been looking through the numbers and the first sort of five weeks of preseason were very hard last year and, and we're we're planning to go harder um to really build that that level in and really bring some of the intensity so that the first week of training just to share with you was 
actually the hardest of the whole season uh, last year. So the first week of pre-season was the hardest of the whole season. So that's something that we we want to really? really bring it. Yeah, and we we kind of we came straight in and we we're like, right, we're going for it, and that that's that's our approach. Uh, everywhere at the club, we have uh, plastered on the walls. Intensity is the starting point. So that's how we want to build. That's kind of what we want to be. So we want to be as in, as intense as possible. So that's kind of where where we're looking to go as a medical team and physical team. And and I assume that the returning players are understanding this is how it's going to be coming up for preseason two. So when it comes time for uh, having an extra helping around the holidays, they may be thinking twice. And instead of sitting on the couch, they may actually follow your off-season program just a little bit more you think <laughs> yeah I think so we, we've been pretty clear with the boys about kind of what we're going to be going into next year and we've we've got a fantastic group uh we with the boys know exactly sort of what's expected from them from a performance point of view and from a, a footballing point of view so they've bought into everything that we've tried to bring obviously on on the first day back in we'll be doing the in-body screening so we'll see you've had really good Christmases. It's quite nice that you can tell whose house you'd like to go to because uh, they're the ones who have the most fun. You can see how much they've, the weight they've put on. But, but that's normal. Pre-season's there for, for players to build in that fitness and to be in game ready come February. So they don't have to come in ready to go. But you want a, want a good base to give yourself the best chance of, of a good year. And preseason begins beginning of January. First match is going to be the, uh, February 25th. So what's that, seven weeks? No, so we're pre-season, we're coming in for medical screenings on around the 10th to 12th, I believe it is, and then we start on the 15th. So we Of have January? 15th of January. Uh, actually, so like, that's our first so training session. That's like five or six weeks then? Yeah, f- five-week pre-season. Wow. So it's really short. So it's it's something I've experienced with uh, back home in, in the UK. You only get a five-week pre-season, so... It's kind of pretty normal for me, so it's something that we're we're looking to build. Last year was six weeks, uh, so we've kind of tried to scramble and get an extra few sessions in where we can do so. We think we, we've got a good plan that's going to give the boys the best chance of a good start to the season. And do you have any team members that are uh, competing right now internationally or have been borrowed from another team or the, we got the Concafa happening? I mean, any of the, any of the Quakes playing right now? Yeah, we, we have five uh, five or six players away on international duty. And then we there's a US camp the first couple of weeks in January, I believe, as well. So a couple of players will be away on that and then they'll and come to us. How does that affect preseason for them or does it? Do you, do you take anything into consideration? Yeah, so they're on a completely different program on a different timeline. So they after the end of the season, they basically carried on training because we had a two-week yeah. window before they were away with their national team. So they had programs. A lot of them wanted to go home uh, and then we supported them to do that from afar. And then they had programs to do, people to work with. So that everyone's on a on a slightly different program depending on things like how many minutes they've played, different travel arrangements. We try and understand. I, I can relate, especially players have been away from families and stuff for a long time. So I feel like it's important to support them as a person and figure out how we can put a program in place that works for us but keeping them in mind as well. And then do you, how often do you check in with the players? Is it a weekly basis? Do you help them uh, coordinate with a trainer in their area or you just provide them with programs and, and give them guidance what it, in any way they need it? Yeah, so it's it's we provide them with the program and then we kind of send the message that we're, we're always available. So if they've got questions, they reach out and we, we go from there. And we do touch base every couple of weeks. So we send the program. 
I don't like to overwhelm the players with an eight-week program, so I send a, a copy out every two weeks of that coming two weeks. So that's a natural touching base moment. So I'll give the players a call and send out that updated for the two weeks program and kind of go through if there's anything else that they've worked with or struggled with, and then we, we can adapt that onto that program. Fantastic. Okay, from a personal standpoint, uh, a European moving to the Central Coast here or to Silicon Valley, and how are you like it and what's the best thing about moving here? Aside from being where you are in your position with the MLS, like outside of that. Yeah, no, we're, we're really enjoying it uh, as a family. It's it's great. Obviously, having uh, dependable weather is the is for the first time in my whole life. Being from the north of England and then being in Norway, I've never. We can wake up in the morning and go, yeah, we're, we're definitely going to go to the beach tomorrow because it's going to be nice. And having that, that that's really nice. Um, one of the best things for me is it's a weird one, but it's the Premier League being on with the time difference. So I can watch it at seven o'clock in the morning rather than three o'clock in the afternoons. A hard sell when I've been at football all week and then to asking the wife to stay in and watch an Everton game at three o'clock in the afternoon, but uh, six o'clock on a Saturday morning, she's happy for me to get up and watch that. So that that's perfect. I've been able to watch more Premier League than I've ever done. So that's-, <laughs> that's fantastic. So Mike, you know, you and I are are big fans of LinkedIn and obviously your career path is, is very much related to what you've done there. If, is it okay if I put your LinkedIn connection or, or link in the description below this podcast? Yeah, absolutely. And anyone, if they've got any questions, I'm more than happy to reach out and I'm, I'm happy to answer anything that people have got. I'm curious, do you guys have an internship program, whether it's through athletic training or do you, do you have volunteers? How does it work with the Quakes organization that way? Uh, we, we had a athletic trainer uh, come in on an internship basis through one of the universities, but we're open to, to different opportunities if people uh, have them and want to reach out feel free oh this has been fantastic and i really appreciate you sharing a little bit of your friday afternoon here with me and uh, i know you've got little ones and, and they're probably just waiting to play with dad so uh thank you so much for being on i can't wait for for the next season to start kicking off and you'll see you won't see me in the stands but i'll be there watching and uh, I, I just, I love coming to play pal and watching those quakes. So thanks for being a part of their recipe for success. I'm just keeping my fingers crossed. We advance even further next year. Yeah. Fingers crossed again. Thank, thanks for having me. It's been great to be on. My pleasure. And that brings this episode of Zealous to a close. I can't thank Mike enough for coming on and I can't wait to meet him in person face to face when I get over there to PayPal stadium for the next earthquakes match. Until next time, remember, we've got a new episode airs every Monday, 6 a.m. Pacific, 9 a.m. Eastern. And click that subscribe button. Tell a few friends. Don't let yourself be the only one enjoying the fun. We'll see you next week.